Oh. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's the Roller Out the Barrel Show. We're talking baseball. Coast, coast, border, border. With all kinds of interesting people. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Bear Roller. Hey, wait, uh, wait, wait. Uh, who is this? You, it, it, yeah. Hey, hey, it's me. Hey, everyone. I'm back. I took a week off. I'm back, though. Uh, so, what is that? Three times in the span of like a month? I'm uh, on fire right now. Well, we have co host Jeff Kozlowski here, and you got me, uh, Matt yeah. Bernard, the Barrel Roller. And uh, yeah. Rudy, yeah. is it Rudy Frias? That's right. It's, you don't adjust your television sets. I'm here. That's, and that's right. What can I, and you can obviously tell by my attire, I'm still at work. So got that going for you. Are you not that snappy of a dresser at home? What? what? No, man, this is, uh, this is business casual. So what can I, <laughs> so, uh, so what brings you to this neck of the woods? Uh, I have brought you a treat this evening, gentlemen. Hey, let's just, let me just paint you a picture. You know, you're looking for somebody nowadays that can cover all mediums of communication, the written word, the spoken word, uh, you know, the visual effects. And gentlemen, today I have brought to the podcast an author, a, a vintage baseball fan and uh, he's curious. He's vintage baseball curious, uh, and a and a lover of baseball history. Um, I want to take a second and introduce my friend Jeremy K. Brown. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Welcome to the Roller Out the Barrel Show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm honored to be here. This has been a long time coming. We've talked about it, and I'm really really psyched. Me to be too. Here. I hope I'm worthy uh, oh. to live up the time. So Jeremy and I uh, participate in, he's a contributor to the Second Chance Cinema podcast, uh, which uh, takes a a second look at forgotten gems of of the cinema. And he's also a a co-host of the Mount Rushmore podcast uh, that I participate in as well. And the second that Jeremy, we had been doing this for a couple of years and I mentioned, uh, well, no, one of the other co-hosts mentioned vintage baseball and Jeremy's ears per- perked up. He's like, Rudy, you, you do, you play vintage baseball. And naturally outside of our little community bubble, I'm like, how about vintage baseball? So then we just started having this conversation and it turns out that like Jeremy is a big fan of all things baseball, loves vintage baseball. And I've been trying for, as Jeremy alluded to many, many, a couple of years actually to line it up to get him on this podcast. And I'm so excited. Now today, Jeremy, I want to talk about, I want to jump right into it. Okay. Let's talk about uh, real quick because I'm a big fan. I'm following uh, your Instagram page, ghost runners. And when you started it, I was all over it. I love reading all the stories. Just give our listeners out there just the, the, what, what ghost runners is about on Instagram. Absolutely. This has been a passion project of mine for a while because, as you said, I, I love vintage baseball. I love baseball history. I feel like baseball history and American history are so perfectly intertwined in so many ways. There's so many points where, where American history and baseball history connect. And uh, the story kind of of America can be can be found in so many ways through vintage baseball of, you know, 
class and uh, you know race and you know the the depression economics all these different things you know uh, tie in together and um and, and a lot of it is has been lost a lot of the, the smaller stories the people uh, you know we all know the big names but there's so many forgotten players so many people who had interesting contributions or had interesting records or all these other things and they've just sort of fallen by the wayside and um it's long been a passion project of mine to want to tell their stories and uh, i've been you know putting it out there uh as a book idea with my agents or um, i'm now in the process of switching agents hopefully i'll have a new one soon but um you know and so i decided sort of a proof of concept is to start putting it out there on instagram and just telling these stories and uh got 118 so far i mean you know when i started the project uh with my uh, former agent I had about 25 people that I thought would could be worthy of promoting. And so when I started this Instagram, I said, I'm just going to put these 25 out there and I'll see, see where it goes. And now I've got a hundred, I just put up my 118th post shortly before I got on this interview. So <laughs> uh, some days it's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, Oh God, I got to think of somebody. So I go down, I pull a book off the shelf. I flip through. It was easier at the beginning. So that these guys were like right at the front of my brain. Now I'm digging back, you know, and, trying to find some other stories and stuff but but they're out there that's the thing is like every time i feel like maybe i've squeezed the last bit of juice out of the stone um it's there's, there's another guy or, or another woman uh, somebody who comes up you know lizzie arlington tony stone all these people who come out of the woodwork and they and you say oh you know here's another story and i know there's more out there and uh, i'm i'm eager to keep digging because i feel like you know, at the beginning, I had, again, like I said, some of the guys who you may have heard of before, or maybe if you didn't hear them, once I start talking about it, once you start reading, you go, oh, I know who that is. But now <laughs> we're really getting into sort of <laughs> some deep, deep stuff. So sometimes, I mean, I had Tommy John the other day, because I thought, I don't know how many people actually know the story behind Tommy John surgery. So, so I threw it out there. And I said, chances are, if you're reading this page, you probably do, but in case you didn't. So, but um, yeah, we're really getting into it and trying to find some. Some real, I know there's there's got to be somebody out there who I haven't found yet who's going to really blow my mind, and and then I hope people who read the page they'll feel the same way. I love that, and and just for the listeners out there, as um, we we really didn't give uh, the the attention it deserves. Writers. He has many books out, uh, Oceans of Storm, Zero Limit. You can find these on Amazon. And uh, when he says project, like this isn't just like me putting together my uh, my my Channing Tatum fan page. You know, it's, it's this is this is some thought and some some real research going into this. And so I'm crazy excited. Like you mentioned, I love that it's not just baseball. Like it, it well, Joan Joyce. That was one that I loved reading about. Uh, right, and yeah. I encourage everybody, if you're listening right now, give it a follow. Ghost Runners on Instagram, okay? Yeah, Ghost Runners of Baseball is the of full baseball. title because yeah. Ghost Runners was taken by – there was a few variants of Ghost Runners. It took me a while to land on Ghost Runners of Baseball, but that's what the official Instagram handle is. I love it. I love it. Do do me a favor. Uh, talk about who you just posted literally, like – an hour ago, it looks like. Yeah, what's your most recent one? So yeah, my most recent one just went up. This one, uh, probably, if you're a fan, certainly you guys know who he is, uh, Johnny Vandermeer. Yeah. Uh, 
Cincinnati Reds pitcher who is the only pitcher uh, and probably ever will be the only pitcher to throw back-to-back no-hitters. Um, first the Boston Bees, and then four days later uh, in the first-ever night game in New York City, actually, against the Brooklyn Dodgers, 1938, um, through a second no-hitter. Babe Ruth was actually in attendance at the game, which I thought was kind of a cool fact, too. So, um, yeah, so the, the famous Vander Miracle. Um, and then and he was a guy, and it, what makes this story interesting, too, is that the, he was a guy that the Reds weren't that sure about at the beginning of the 1938 season. He bounced around in the minors. Uh, he was actually drafted by the Dodgers. They released him, and he went down to, to I think he played the minors uh, in Scranton and kind of jumped around from team to team, finally landed on the Reds, but was still kind of uncertain. Uh, you know, a little having so a little control issues, wasn't quite so you know good with the fastball, and the Reds weren't too sure about him. And then he goes out, and then you know throws back to back no hitters, something that I don't think you will ever see again. I think you know next to impossible, but um, I guess it could happen. But you know, um, unlikely. So the Vander Miracle, I think it's a it's a great story, and it's not just about the accomplishment. It's also you know, he was a guy who was. Uh, an underdog and not really seen as, as some, you know, um, some kind of a phenom or something. It was just, and that's the great thing about baseball, right? Is that these, these, these incredible stories sometimes happen to, you know, you know, Bucky Dent, you know, uh, Aaron Boone, you know, sometimes these guys <laughs> had, they step up to the play, they have these incredible moments and then they never come again. But it's, uh, yeah. you know, in that, you know, the, it's the last guy you'd ever expect to go out and pull out some kind of a, of, a, of an incredible moment. So, and that can happen, you know, there's 162 chances for that to happen every year. So, so it's very exciting. I love that. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to join Vandermeer for a while. Nice. And, I mean, does anybody know the nickname of the Brooklyn Dodgers on this podcast? The Bums. Uh, the Bums. I'm going to show you my... Uh, this, this is the, I'm unbutton my shirt here. Okay. This is this this is the uh, this is where the YouTube channel comes to play. There you yeah, go. <laughs> bums. Yeah. Brooklyn bums. There it is. That's wow. That's, that's the PG thirteen portion of the show here. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Jeremy, I'm going through yeah, your Peter Goldenbach's book Bums. Was that? I'm going through your Instagram here. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, and I see a bunch of great pictures of people. I want to know what your story is for them. Uh, I'm not going to ask you now because I want everybody to go to the Instagram page. Uh, but there are some familiar faces, and there are some people that you just know that they must have a crazy story. And uh, and there's a guy smoking a cigarette, so we know what that's about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you accumulating as much material as you can to to release a book? That's the plan. That's really what I, that's how this all started. Is uh, as Rudy was saying, I've been a big vintage baseball fan, and I love obscure baseball trivia, baseball history. So it's just it's been accumulating in the back of my brain, like like you know, just stuff in an attic for years. Um, as Rudy said, I've done, written a bunch of other books. I have two sci-fi novels out there. I've done, you know, joke books. I did a book on the WWE Championship. I've, I've written biographies, you know, for younger readers. I've done all these different things, but I've never done anything on baseball, and yet baseball is something I'm really passionate about. But just haven't had that chance. So I brought this Ghost Runners 
pitch to my agent. Um, and I said, I think we should really do a book on forgotten baseball players because they through them, through their stories and through that, that lens, we can tell a really unique American story, you know, about underdogs, about, you know, racism, about segregation, about class, about all these things can be told in the story uh, for the lens of these players. And so, yes, long answer to a short question. Yes. Uh, I really want to do this as a book and I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that that can come to fruition. All right, let me let me throw this that the last five minutes of this podcast we're going to talk about professional wrestling. So if you want to turn it off, well, we'll end the episode officially, and then after that we're going to talk five minutes of professional wrestling. I just want to warn you ahead of time that when we say goodbye, stop listening unless you're interested in the last five minutes. Uh, Jeff Kozlowski, your question. Unmute yourself, Jeff, uh, and we'll go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, there. all right. So, so um, you know, and then going through the Instagram page also, and I, I really like, you know, Jeremy, your points about it. Baseball touches on so many different subjects. The history teacher in me, you know, perks up like, yeah, I mean, baseball isn't just a sport. It's a way that we talk about racism and, and things like that. And I want to jump in here on uh, the, uh, the Bloomer Girls. Your mm-hmm. article on Lizzie Arlington, um, you know, the, what what inspired you to go find her, and uh, what uh, what jumps out at you about the Bloomers? Well, what interested me with Lizzie Arlington was I read the story of Jackie Mitchell, uh, who was a 17 year old girl who struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig at an exhibition game. Um, and I thought that was amazing. I said, "That's got. It. She's got to be the, the, you know, the first, uh, you know, woman to play, uh, it, you know, against a, you know, professional baseball player." And then I look back, and then of course it was Tony Stone as well, who was in the Negro Leagues, but was technically considered the first woman to play professional baseball. And then out of that, then digging deeper, then we come to Lizzie Arlington, and and her story, you know, was really inspiring as well. And um, and so then, yeah, and then once she, she was, she played briefly and then spent some time with the Bloomer girls after her, uh, short professional career. Um, and that's an incredible story, uh, because, you know, everybody thinks about the all American girls professional baseball league, uh, which is famously talked about in a league of their own, but these, you know, the Bloomer girls were playing barnstorming, uh, all over the country, you know, 50 years before that. And, um, and I mean, they were, you know, really, uh, you know, dominating. I mean, there's the a write-up in the North Dakota paper that talked about how they they could basically take on any team that they that they met. And um, the Boston Bloomer Girls they won 26 games in 28 days. Um, and so it's just you know it's fascinating to think about because this is and this is you know the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century. This is not a time where female athletes were considered, you know. Um, or even talked about really at all. And here they are barnstorming around the country, dominating uh, in baseball. And, you know, it was just such an interesting forgotten piece of, uh, of American history. And actually um, there was another uh, Instagram page who uh, home runs dirt roads. They cover a lot of baseball up in Saskatchewan and they were fascinated by the bloomer girls and they did some of their own research. And we sort of, you know, indirectly partnered up because then she went and, did some research about what the bloomers were doing up in Saskatchewan and uh, up in the, up in Canadian provinces. 
And uh, it turns out there was a lot of activity up there. So they, they really got around. They were all over. I mean, I think as far west as Oklahoma, maybe even farther. So it's just such an, a, a forgotten and interesting hidden piece of baseball history. And then, of course, there's the, the famous um, male players who sometimes would help out. And one of those was a young Honus Wagner, actually. Mm-hmm. They called them toppers. toppers they would wear yeah. wigs. Yeah. So... Um, I briefly mentioned the toppers in my post, but I didn't get too deep into it because I didn't want to take, I thought once you said the name Honus Wagner, that's all everyone's going to focus on. I really wanted to keep the focus on the girls and their accomplishments uh, and not take anything away by saying, well, yeah, they had a ringer and the former Honus Wagner. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, there's, um, and the Home Runs Dirt Roads um, Instagram was asking if there had been any books about them, but there really, there really haven't been. And so, um, there's been a few smaller books, I think, on the Bloomer Girls, but not nothing really in depth yet. But it's an incredible story. It, it's interesting that you mentioned toppers because it made me think of um, <clears throat> my father and uh, Bruce Augustine of uh, the Mountain Stars because uh, the 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 first ladies vintage baseball team when they didn't have enough uh, players to take a match, my father would don a skirt and a bonnet and. Mm-hmm play uh with the women so that's yeah yeah many pictures yeah definitely definitely and you know that that happened a lot too even uh there's a story about babe ruth putting on a fake beard to play with the house of david baseball team yeah so uh and i think jackie mitchell played with the house of david as well and also put on a fake beard uh, because apparently it was king of some mountain landis who banned her from baseball after she struck out gary and Ruth, um, I don't know if that part of it, that's the legend anyway. And so she had to sort of turn to barnstorming and went over with the house of David and put on a fake beard and off she went. But yeah, wow. there's, there's lots of those stories, you know, people getting disguising themselves so they could play here or there. It's interesting. I love that. Now you did say, cause when we were doing the back and forth of like, Hey, what do you want to talk about? What topics do we want to cover? Uh, I, w- I need to know more about this book book that you sent the uh, you sent me it's the biographical encyclopedia of the negro league of the negro baseball leagues and i yes i'm 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 oh my gosh have you read the whole thing (laughs) i have not no okay uh, not yet but uh i'm certainly yeah it's it's been an invaluable resource for um for this Instagram page and even just fascinating reading in and of itself. Um, in the Negro leagues to me is the heart and soul. And so many ways of what the ghost runners concept is about, because there are countless players who, whose names are not known. Obviously we know cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, Satchel Page and everything, but even those guys, I mean, Satchel Page didn't get to the majors until he was in his late forties. Can you imagine if he had been in the majors in his prime, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing. So they are all of these players, even the ones who ultimately did get called up, have this this hidden piece of history to share. And so um, the Negro Leagues is just it's it's amazing. It's just fascinating to read about. And uh, this this book is just you know it was a gift birthday gift from my wife, and I've just enjoyed flipping through it. And uh, wherever I you know looking for another post, uh, this is often the first book I come to because there are so many. Uh, so many great stories. I had a story just recently of a, a guy named Doc Sykes, uh, who was a dentist um, in, uh, I think he was in Georgia, and um, he 
had a brief period, brief run with the with the uh, Baltimore Black Sox, the Brooklyn Royal Giants, but then after uh, baseball, he was actually involved in a very famous case, the Scottsboro Scottsboro Nine case, uh, with uh, nine um, young men, uh, young black men, were accused of assaulting two white women. And they were sentenced to death, and the ju- the jury was all white, and they basically got no trial. It was like done, you're sentenced, and that was it. And Doc Sykes, they had, the Supreme Court ended up reopening the case. They moved the trial to Decatur, where Sykes was practicing medicine, but that was practicing dentistry, and um, he got involved, and he actually um, testified on their behalf and talked about the fact that the jury was all white and it was totally biased and. It was not really a jury of their peers, and it got the case reopened. And um, uh, many of the many of the uh, the Scottsboro Nine had their sentences either reduced or uh, commuted or entirely um, overturned. Their convictions were overturned, and and it opened up the doors for you know integrated juries in America. And so you know he's you know he's just he was a, a black baseball player who then went on to do incredible things. And so these. These stories are out there, and, and they really do weave into the history of our country in so many interesting ways. My goodness. Question. Yeah, yeah. Doc Sykes' story is fascinating. I didn't even do it justice. You should read it. Read it. Uh, look it up and check it out. It's really, it's really, really amazing. Uh, and there's, there's so many like that, um, coming out of the Negro Leagues. I mean, obviously everybody knows Rube Foster, who's the founder of the Negro Leagues, but then um, one of the guys I profiled was uh, an activist uh, who 50 years before Foster founded uh, the Negro Leagues, his name was Octavius Caddo, and he founded a team called the Pythians in Philadelphia. And it was all um, young black professionals in Philadelphia, businessmen, and they quickly became very popular in Philadelphia. And um, uh, no matter, even though they were popular, the, uh, the white you know, uh, baseball leagues in the area wouldn't let them play. Their popularity continued to grow. And finally, there was a white team called the Olympics uh, who agreed to take them on. And that was the first ever recorded inter- interracial baseball game. Uh, it was in 1869. And, um, you know, it's, again, not, not something that is really talked about or really known. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And then out of that, actually, uh, coming, talking about um, baseball, interracial baseball games, one of the greatest stories. And if you guys know anything more about this, this is something I'm, doing some digging about because there's not a lot of history on it, but uh, it was a team in uh, called the Wichita Monrovians and uh, they were actually challenged. They were a barnstorming team uh, and they were challenged to in 1925 to a game by the Ku Klux Klan. Um, And the the Klan was getting a series of um, unflattering essays written about them in the local papers. And so they, they decided to say, well, as a, as a proof, proof of our, our dominance and our strength, we're going to take on, because the, the Monrovians were a very popular team and they were winning a lot of games and people were really enjoying this. So we're going to take on this all-black team and show our white superiority and, and defeat them and prove once and for all that the, the Klan has a place here. And what happened? Uh, they met, they met uh, at a neutral ground. It was in Arkansas, a... Um, park on the Arkansas River, was basically on an island almost, and uh, they had, uh, they had um, I think it was a Catholic, they had a Catholic umpire to, to create sort of neutrality, I guess, 
and ultimately <laughs> um, the Monrovians beat the uh, the KKK ten to eight. So, you know, that was ba- and that basically put an end to the Klan's presence in that area. So, I mean, but I mean, that's a movie. Like, yeah, you that's that a movie. movie. You just right. Oh yeah, it's an incredible story. But there's there's not that much info about it. I've been, I called the, the Hall of Fame. And I said, do you have any info on this? And um, they said they didn't. And so um, I called the, the uh, Negro Leagues Hall of Fame, too. And they didn't have uh, any info either. So anybody out there who has any information on this game, I really want to write a longer piece about it. Jer- uh. Jeremy, I got two questions. Obviously, you're very well steeped in the knowledge of the Negro League history. So I'm going to ask you, who do you consider the first professional black baseball player? Well, I guess you'd have to say it's Moses Fleetwood Walker would be the the first official um, black baseball player. And he was with um, the uh, Toledo Blue Stockings, correct? That's right, yes. Yeah. I know there was w- uh, another black baseball player, but I, I think he, w- he didn't actually come out and say he – unfortunately, I'm forgetting his name right now, but I don't believe he actually um, – was open about his race, but Moses was the first black baseball player who said, who was just, um, you know, open about his, you know, cause the other player uh, was lighter skinned and didn't, uh, so therefore didn't really, was, uh, wasn't open about being black. So Moses was the first black baseball player um, who was open about his race. Jeff Kozlowski. And you really gotta, you gotta really like, when you when you break down like the history of baseball in the 1860s, which is uh, covered in a book that I wrote a chapter for, it's like the the color line itself is drawn in 1867 for the 68 season. Professionalism begins the very next year, so everything is still very fresh with regard to a segregated game, as well as professionalism. They're all still you know very much connected in there. I mean, I remember doing the research and when the National Association made the made the agreement to not bring in uh, uh, players of players of color. That like every newspaper article that covered it gave it like one sentence, except for Philadelphia, where the Pythians were from. That the city item just went, uh, "What? Um, excuse me, what did you just say there? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you realize what you have just done here?" So it's yeah that it's hard to kind of pinpoint because both of them happened boom boom season one after season two yeah yeah that's right absolutely yeah everything sort of does happen in in succession and you you start to see the way things line up that way you know um with you know players you know guys like like moses leewood walker stuff who don't who suddenly you know they don't have the opportunities that, that they may have had prior to that sort of segregation was his brother considered the second African American player, Moses Fleetwood Walker's brother? I think he was. Yes, I think so. If um, I mean, uh, if I'm trying to think of anybody else off the top of my head, and I, I, I can't right now. So um, I, I think, think it, because know, I've I, I've looked into the Toledo Blue Stockings a lot because I want. There was a time where I wanted to do, uh, well, I still do, but I wanted to do some overhand baseball here in the Midwest, and I wanted to 
to bring the Toledo Blue Stockings back. And uh, so I think his brother played just in one season uh, and only played in like 40 games uh, and then got hurt and never played again. Yeah, I don't think he, he played. It's Welby Walker, right? I don't think he played a lot at all. Um, and, but, yeah, I don't remember uh, who was uh, – if he was the second or, you know, uh, um, I think he would have had to have been. This is the way the timing lines up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for for the listener out there, you can't see it, but uh, on the YouTube channel, you will be able to see it. Uh, all of us furiously doing research into our laptops and phones as Jeremy brings up a name and and <laughs> like just trying to like do like just figure all of this out because this is like I love this is the thing I love most about the platform, which you talked about, is that we all know the big name. But there are so many other stories, thousands, hundreds of thousands of like stories within the game that tie into the history of our country. And it's I, I think it's amazing what you're doing. I wanted to ask, like, what like being a fan of baseball, that's something that like, oh, you know, as a kid, you grow up, you play, you watch, you become a fan, you start rooting for a team. But like really becoming a fan of the history of the game and, and honestly being a fan of vintage baseball takes a special individual as well. What led to all of this, Jeremy? Like how, what was the, the genesis of, you know what, this is, this is something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, definitely. I think I can trace it right back to the first time I went to Cooperstown um, when I was maybe 12, 13 years old. Uh, you know, we went out, we, we were on a family vacation up in the Catskills and my dad and I took a day trip. We were up in Hunter, took a day trip to Cooperstown. And, you know, for anyone who's been there, which I, I would assume that you all have, um, at one time or another, you know, baseball comes to life there in, in such an incredible way. And you start walking around and you can just, you're just steeped in the history of it, in the, and I started really just getting into, you know, guys like Hack Wilson and then, you know, all these these stories and these legends and, um, you know, obviously Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth and the Murderers Row, the 27 Yankees. And you start, you know, getting really into into that part of it. And then um, that became more, even more interesting to me than the current game, than watching the games, you know, as a kid, which of course I did and still do. Um, but I get I got really charged up about digging into the past and finding these unique and interesting stories and interesting people who've been forgotten about, and uh, and and also the people who've been celebrated. You know, guys like DiMaggio or guys like Lou Gehrig, or you know, um, and just you know, on and on and on uh, throughout the years. And then, of course, you know, not long after that, the movie Eight Men Out came out, the great John Sayles film. It's just you know. Uh, and the, the whole Black Sox, and then that was Field of Dreams, which, you know, is obviously uh, one of the greatest baseball movies ever, but also deals very uh, heavily with the Black Sox scandal. And so that got me really interested in, in their story and, and everything that was happening there. And then from there, you know, you, you can spin off into so many different stories and, and, and um, you know, just avenues uh, through baseball. Guys like you know, whatever happened, because everyone knows about, you know, Shula's show, but like, you know, Buck Weaver and those guys, whatever became of them and where did they end up? Because a lot of them went and were barnstorming. And so I think Buck Weaver maybe even played 
against some Negro League teams as a barnstormer. So again, and then you start connecting to the to that part of history. And so it's this incredible tree that sort of, you know, peers off in so many different ways. So, but yeah, I think Cooperstown was really like the, the inflection point where it's just, that was, it all started from there. Wow. I still love going to Cooperstown. My son goes to college upstate and we always detour off in Cooperstown on the way up when we we bring him up in August and uh, just spend some time walking around there. And it's just, even just being in the town, you know, it just makes you happy. You're just so steeped in baseball history and love walking into the stores and, Looking at all the memorabilia, you know, most of which I can't afford. <laughs> but, I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. Now, just to, uh, you know, start to, to bring it home, Jeremy, where are you physically located in the United States of America? What's what, Where are you living right now? I'm in New York, in Putnam County, New York, so about okay. 90 minutes north of the city. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know. So I, this this will be helpful for all of our listeners on the East Coast, the Mid Atlantic area. That you know you can reach out to Jeremy, and uh, we'll get you that information, and and you know invite him to a vintage baseball game. You know, talk. Please to, do. Yeah, I'd love Absolutely. it. And I, I'm a Mets fan, so uh, you, you can see me in City Field <laughs> suffering, crying, you know, gnashing my teeth, crying a lot, you know, rending my garments, you know, but. Uh, and I'm, next, and year, I, next year, next year, next year, definitely. Well, I'm also, you know, even though I was there well before my time, I was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. So that, you know, you know, wait till next year. That that's just be, we just adopted that rallying cry, and you know, it happened for them. I mean, it happened for the Mets too in my lifetime, but you know, it's been a little while. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, let's uh, let's because uh, we are at the thirty minute mark. I want to honor everybody's time and. I, I do want to, I, I think Barrel Roller, I think it's that time. What do you think? Oh, am I supposed, think to, am I supposed to do, do your you thing because you did my thing? And, and then, do, and then, do, do here's, my question. here's my question. Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy, you do this podcast, a second chance podcast, where you watch a movie that got probably treated poorly, but you're giving it another chance mm-hmm. by watching and reviewing. Do you do that podcast with Rudy Frias? I don't think Rudy and I have ever done an episode of Second Chance together. You do the Mount Rushmore so, together, right? Uh, we do Mount Rushmore together, but we've both been on Second Chance separately, but never at the same time. Can you Much think of? I think we have a good time. Can you think of off the top of your head a movie that got a bad review, a really bad review, and you were going into it expecting it to still be bad, and yet you came away? flabbergasted and amazed at how amazing it was. I can, and it's going to be an unpopular one because I've suggested this to the group before and it's not gotten, nobody's taken the bait yet. The 2013 Lone Ranger movie with Johnny <laughs> Depp and Army Hammer. Ooh. I am telling you, it is one of the better Westerns you, you uh, will have seen. I'm telling you. The finale of that movie set to the Lone Ranger, uh, what is it, the William Tell Overture? Yeah. Is, they score it to the William Tell Overture perfectly. Every moment, every beat of that action scene is done perfectly. And it is it is a very, very, I was blown away because I went into it expecting it to be a mockery and expecting it to be absolutely horrendous. I kind of hate watched it. And I, it won me over. And you can nitpick it, sure. 
But all these second chance movies, you can. I mean, every one. I mean, I went on to do Dante's Peak with Pierce Brosnan. Oh, that's one of my favorite movies. A piece of cinema. No, I love Dante's Peak. I love Dante's <laughs> Peak. I don't like Army <laughs> Hammer. Okay, and this is before <laughs> Army Hammer was eating we, people. We didn't know. We didn't yeah. know then. Well, that's <laughs> probably why they don't want to do it because both of the stars are now very questionable in their in their personal lives. Army Hammer, in particular, has some very strange proclivities. But, but if you can separate the art from the artist for a moment, the yeah. 2013 Lone Ranger, and it, and it was it was a. Uh, you know, that movie killed Gore uh, Verbinski's directing career. He was like on a hot streak with Pirates of the Caribbean. And so they gave him this big, huge uh, summer blockbuster, would-be summer blockbuster, and it flopped. And he's, I don't know, what he, what, he hasn't done anything since then. But uh, So uh, out of morbid curiosity, I didn't see it in the theaters. I, I watched it later. And out of morbid curiosity, I, I gave it a chance. And I said, wow, you know what? And Quentin Tarantino agrees with me. If you look it up, Quentin Tarantino is a big fan of that movie. So... I'm uh, a good company. I feel I'm the only ones, but Jeff, but, uh, Jeff Kozlowski, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm going to give you the uh, the chance to ask the last question about baseball, Negro leagues, or movies, <laughs> or that movie that you want us to talk about. Go ahead, ask him about that. <laughs> no, no, let us let us preserve the the glory of glitter. <laughs> and, and everything that it has provided Hollywood. Uh, no, I want to. I want to hang around for the pro wrestling talk because uh, it's Royal Rumble season, and so I'm, I'm getting my getting my spreadsheets together for it. All right, here we go. So we're gonna we're gonna tell you. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, thank you to Rudy Frias uh, for taking over the show. And uh, Rudy, we're gonna let you uh, bring it home and say goodbye to everybody and all the people, and just do your thing, all of it. Hey, hey, friends out there, thank you so much for tuning in during the holiday season. And I just want to remind you, you know what the perfect gift is for anybody on the holidays? A fair foul right in your lap. Wow, that sounds dirty. <laughs> You're welcome. What happened? What did I miss? <laughs> and now, <laughs> Jeremy, thanks for joining us and giving us all of that interesting knowledge you are so smart. You know a lot. Your wisdom, your wisdom is far more than ours. Uh, but now we have to bring you down to our level a little bit. Now it's time to talk <laughs> professional wrestling. Oh, yes. That's just, that's, well, thank you for your kind words, first of all. I'm honored to be here. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys. And uh, I'm always happy to talk pro wrestling because I lived and breathed it for 10 years. So yeah. Dude. All about it. Yeah. <laughs> so before uh, we start, we're just going to pepper you with questions. Your favorite uh, ring entrance theme ever. Oh man. Good question. I, it's, oh, it's, right. it's going to change. Dude. It's got to be, I got to say Austin, the breaking glass. And then that, you know, I mean, I'm old school from the eighties, the rocket wrestling era, you know, so I mean, Hogan, he didn't come out to Real American until later, but it was I Had the Tiger back in the 80s. But I think when you hear that breaking glass, I mean, I was when, during my WWE days, in, uh, if I, were, I was in the crowd when Austin would come out and the whole place would just explode and just be so hyped. So 
I, I got to give it to Austin, I think. Just the way that can hype up a crowd. Just one sound effect can hype up a crowd. Let me, let me give you a little trivia question, and let's see how far deep the knowledge goes. Hulk Hogan's Real American right. Song, whose song was that first? Oh, oh, good question. I mean, Rick Derringer wrote it. Um, all right, well, okay, I'm going to take a stab in the dark, but I don't think, no, it's not right. It was really, Hogan was sort of modeled after superstar Billy Graham, but I wouldn't say it would be him. So, oh, you may have stumped me. You may, I think you stumped me. I'm not sure. The answer is that was actually Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda's first theme Mike song. Mike Rotunda. Oh. What? The U.S. Express. Express. Right. Oh, wow. And that's the one Man. piece of trivia I know. Jeff Kozlowski, your question. <laughs> All right. Jeremy, male or female, who, in your opinion, is the most deserving of a world title that never got one? Well, I got to say Roddy Piper. Ooh. You know? Roddy Piper never won a world title. Oh, you just kind of um, had that waiting. Yeah, well, Piper was my favorite as a, as a kid. Everyone loved Hogan in the '80s, but Piper was the coolest to me. Piper's pit—that was just the best. And he was—I mean, he was a great worker and great on the mic. He was like like Flair in that way. Like him and Flair cut from the same cloth, but Flair, you know, obviously had several world titles. And Piper never got one. So, yeah, Roddy. I feel like it's almost a crime that didn't because then he came back in the you know during my time there and they, he won a tag title. I can't remember who he tagged with off the top of my head. Somebody Rick Flair. Else may know Rick Flair. There you go. Okay, so he went, yeah, but they never, but, but they didn't give him a world title. Even just give him for a day so it could go in the books that he was a world champion, but he didn't get it. So yeah, Piper was Piper was the man for all time for me. What is uh, out of all of the finishing moves, which one is uh, the least effective? <laughs> Good, oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, all evidence to the contrary, but it, it doesn't feel like the big boots really as impactful as, as they made it <laughs> seem sometimes. You know? um, I mean, it's, it took out Andre and all these other guys, but, you know, I mean, he just sort of put his leg up and then, and then they go right down. So, yeah, I'd say maybe, maybe the, the big boot, because I'm looking, I've just gone through all the other big ones in my head. And I'm like, yeah, you know, um, you know, the stunner and the rock bottom and, you know, the attitude adjustment and the, uh, I'm drawing a blank on Triple H's finisher right now. Just, um, pedigree. pedigree. Thank you. God, I should have known that. You know, these are all very impactful moves, but the big boot, I feel like the leg drop, yes, I'll give it those, say that, but, but, um, the big boot, I don't know. I think I maybe like they, he kind of oversold that one a little bit. It's my favorite move, but I feel like the people's elbow. Is I was like, just about to say, it's got to be people's elbow. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember vehemently de uh, declaring, no, it stops your heart. The second he hits it, your heart stops, and then that's how he's able to pin you. <laughs> but the people's elbow had such style, you know? Yeah. And usually it was coming off of the rock bottom. So Yeah, good point, know. good point. Uh, so, the but, answer, but yes, you, guys have, uh, yes. you guys have totally missed the right answer on this. 
The right answer is Santino Morella's Cobra. <laughs> right. That's good point. That's good point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about Santino Morella entirely. So, yeah. So, this is, you know, my, my, um, I'm a little rusty on, the, on some of my wrestling history now. So I, you know, need a refresher. But some of the, because there's probably a million finishers I'm not thinking of oh, sure. that are like really bad, especially those mid card guys. You know, uh, that I'm just you know not not thinking of. Uh, Jeremy so Santino would be among them. Absolutely. Uh, this year at WrestleMania, or coming up at WrestleMania, I should say next year. Probably you're going to see the end of Roman Reigns uh, as he goes on to do other things. I believe his contract expires and he wants to uh, dedicate his time to acting from what I understand. So we will probably now 95% sure we're going to see the end of a title. It'd just be like WWE to have him win and then lose on raw the next night or something. But uh, Mm -hmm. who do you think he's going to lose it to? And who do you think he should have lost it to? Oh man, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think of like what, who, like who they're building. What's the big uh, rivalry that they're building with with Roman right now? I mean, um, right now it looks like they're building up Randy Orton, but I think that's going to happen before WrestleMania. I don't think his WrestleMania storyline has started yet. Right, right, okay. Because yeah, I mean, Randy Orton would be a waste. In my opinion, I mean, whoever you know, whoever they book it, it sh- should be it should be somebody that losing that title means something. You know, like when they when they broke the Undertaker streak with Brock Lesnar, I was like, what a way to just waste that record because it was really supposed to be Orton back at WrestleMania 21. That was the 13th match, um, and you know, they didn't. Uh, you know, they, they had him lose, they had that happen, which would have made sense because it would have made, you know, but you, you want to make somebody who's, you know, um, a young superstar. And so they have to lose it to Brock Lesnar, which really kind of means nothing. But, um, you know, so I feel, you know, I mean, I know he's what he's doing a robbery with Cody Rhodes a lot lately. So, I mean, Cody is definitely a distinct possibility. But uh, trying to think of it, like your, your other question, who he should have lost it to, that's a really good question, too. Because, again, um, you know, it's, it, it, there's so many guys that he's faced where it would have been impactful to have him lose it, you know, and, um, and, and have him sort of put over a, a younger guy or a newer, uh, you know, a new guy, you know, much in the way like when back in 2005, when, you know, Batista lost to, I uh, mean, you know, Triple H lost to Batista and JBL lost to Cena when Cena was right on, on you know, coming up. You know, that's the time when you want, you, you want to see a guy who's on their way up take down, you know, the big guy, the current, the, the guy who's, you know, or when Austin, you know, uh, beat Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania in uh, 98, you know, with Mike Tyson. Um, you know, those, those are all moments I think should, you know would be really um, you know that are really impactful. And so I think that makes the most sense. Um, and Cody, Cody, it was Cody versus Roman at the last WrestleMania, wasn't it? If I'm remembering right. 
No, it was two that years was ago. uh it was two years ago. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. He fought, he fought it wasn't WrestleMania. It was like uh like something. No, it was, it was like Seth Rollins. It was yeah, because it was Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania yeah. his first year when he came back. SummerSlam. And did Cody Rhodes even wrestle at WrestleMania last year? Was he injured? Yeah, he won the Royal Rumble. Okay. Yeah, he 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 won the, he Royal, won the Royal Rumble. Rumble. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was it was Cody against Roman. Oh yeah. Cody won the Rumble. Because it was supposed to finish the story. Because I was really angry. Yeah, because he didn't win. That's okay. Jeff, uh, you have the last word on the wrestling topic with Jeremy. Question? All right. Jeremy, of all the titles, what is the best looking slash your favorite iteration of a title design, title look of, of any that you've ever seen or been around? Uh, good question. That, those are, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, all right, this is from a personal level and this is going to be a weird answer. Uh, I may have to say that I really like the million dollar title from back in the day. And that's, yeah, like, you know, that was just a really cool, uh, design. And, uh, we, we actually got to, hold that because it was kept in a vault at the headquarters uh, and they'd only take it out for certain occasions and stuff. And so they let us go up to like the, it was like a big, like safe. Like it looked like it'd be like on the Titanic or something, this big giant safe. They turn the thing and it opens up and then the belt comes out and it was just like, Whoa. And you know, they had so much weight to it, you know, not just, uh, you know, physical and metaphorical weight. So I always loved the million dollar championship, but um, you know uh, I'm I'm old school. I love the the old you know uh, title design you know from from the '80s you know with with the big eagle you know and the wings yeah. and everything. Um, which one had the teal belt? It was a it was the big plate on the front with the wings, and the belt itself was actually teal. Was that the Ultimate um, Warrior? I think it was the Ultimate Warrior, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a very cool, like. I, but I feel like it may, be, yeah. I think it was, it was the Ultimate Warrior, but um, you know, it had that really like like powder blue color. That was very cool. Yeah. So I like the old school designs to me. Um, not really a fan of you know the uh, the, the spinner belts and you know the stuff like that. And they kept the spinner belt forever. Even after Cena didn't have it for a while, I was like, come on. <laughs> like, let's, let's change it up. But, yeah, I mean, Million Dollar Championship was just uh, such a cool design. I, I miss, you know, when they would they would do that. They would sort of, and everyone would come up with their own spin. That's what Cena did when he put out the spinner belt. It was like, now it's time to refresh the championship. But then they just kept that design for like 10 years. So, I like it when, when when people would change it up a little bit. Like they had, The Rock had the uh, Brahma Bowl, or was it, uh, yeah, you know, design, and uh, also had the Smoking Skull. You know, yeah, yeah. Was, that's cool. I always like when a champion you know redesigns the belt and, and kind of for themselves. I like that. Jeff, what was your favorite belt? Uh, I I got to go with the old Winged Eagle World Title Belt. That just to me, that was the championship that it, it, that over the ten pounds of gold. Like I, I'm a winged eagle guy. It just feels like it's a cool, good looking design. Rudy, 
the white intercontinental belt. I'm, I'm simple. And I'm uh, the red TV title that Arn Anderson always had around his waist. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. always been my favorite and always will be. So nothing's going to top that, yeah. I think. But I'm old. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Uh, Jeff Kozlowski, thanks for joining us. Rudy Frias, thanks for joining us. And uh, I wish all of you a happy holiday. And uh, thank you all for partaking in the festivities this evening. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Recording stopped. That was great, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot yeah. of fun. All right, y'all. Really good. Hey, have a good evening. I'll see you all later. Bye. You too. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye, everybody. Everybody's leaving. And it's just me by myself. Oh, Jeff's still here. He's leaving. Sorry. Am I interrupting awkward piano time? I'm sorry. I'll leave. You are not. <sighs> and I believe that's going to do it on season four of Rolling Around the Barrel. Best season yet. You think so? Eh. Yep. I don't know. I mean, you were in it. It was the smartest season yet. Every 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 episode gets sharper and sharper. Oh, that's definitely not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thanks to everybody. Enjoy your Christmas. We didn't do a Christmas episode this year. We've done so many. I'm just going to re-release some stuff. But uh, we'll be back in February with a whole lineup more authors more historians and more vintage baseball players from coast to coast and border to border enjoy your eggnog and your trees and your black socks and bad ties when did Christmas become Father's Day Jeff, you ever get a tie for Christmas? I do. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, usually they're like history themed ones, so everybody knows what I like. You ever get a Christmas tie for Christmas? No, I don't own a Christmas tie, nor do I own an ugly sweater. You know what I love is when I get Christmas pajamas at Christmas. The hell am I supposed to do with those? You got to change into them immediately. You have to wear them right then and there. They get aware and then they go into the tote of 15 other Christmas pajamas that I'm not going to wear. Jeff, when you were growing up, what was the best gift you ever got? Hmm. That's a good question. Best gift I ever got. uh, I remember my first, uh, PlayStation. I got a gaming system because my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so gaming systems were never something we got. And so I got the original PlayStation in the late nineties. And I remember like, Oh my God, I, I feel like our family is rich. So that was my favorite. What about yours? 
Well, because of my personality, I don't remember my my favorite gift of all time. But I can tell you about my most disappointing gift of all time. Uh-oh. So, I have an older sister. We did not get along very well. And she asked me one year what I wanted for Christmas. And I was shocked at the question, quite frankly. But I told her what I really wanted that I knew my parents weren't going to get me was a pair of all-white Nikes. All-white. I wanted them. And she said, okay. No, she didn't make any promises. I, I got to defend that. So on Christmas, I got to her gift, and it was a shoebox. Oh. And I opened that. And were they white Nikes in that shoebox, Jeff? No, they were not. Mm. They were black Adidas. Screw you, brother. <laughs> what are sisters for, though? Oh. I remember... I remember one year, my mother got me a new pair of shoes to play baseball with outside... And we had grass, a grass field next to my house that we could play baseball in. But we also had an asphalt parking lot we would play in once in a while, too. So this is when I was really young. So I put those new shoes on one day to go run around and play baseball in the asphalt. And they were plastic soles, Jeff. They were plastic, mm. and therefore I slip sled all over the place. It was uh, like if I put those shoes on today, I'd tear every muscle in my legs I was going every which way. Uh, it was sad. It was sad. I think I, I think I am now forced to think of a positive memory. Do you remember a time? Wait, when you, you can't end on that. I... <laughs> Do you remember a time when you uh, you got your uh, a child or a wife or somebody something that meant so much more to them than you thought it was going to, and you were just like, "It's a gift." And they were like, oh, my God. It's a tough one, I know. It is. Because um, I, I am an admittedly not a very good gift giver. Oh, like, I, I feel like I should be better at it. I'm, I'm not. I, my family was is, very, is a very checklist-oriented family, and so if you put it on a list for Christmas, we're getting it. That's just how it goes. Um and sort of come up with something like unique and original and creative. It's believe it or not, not my not my wheelhouse. So I would have to think on that for a hot minute. Let me tell you a story about the time. It was uh, I'm I'm twice married, Jeff. So uh, after my divorce, I believe it was the very first Christmas after that. Um. I worked, I worked a lot and I worked a lot and getting to getting Christmas shopping done when you're a single parent and you're working multiple jobs, it's a hassle. So this, and it certainly was, this is in my younger days as I was in my, oh geez, I might, I might've been around 30 and, uh, 
so I had to just short. I had to take shortcuts, and this shortcut was after I picked up my my two boys. Uh, I had to stop at Toys R Us on the way home because I had to buy presents, right? So they stayed in the car with their sister, I believe, and uh, I went in and I got some stuff. I already knew what I was getting, so I didn't have I didn't have to look around. I knew exactly what I was getting. I went and got it. One of those items was a truck for, you would imagine, a six-year-old that had buttons on the top of it that would play music. And it was like a plastic, I don't know, it was like a two-foot plastic truck, whatever. And, uh, And my younger son, Ashton, wanted that for Christmas. So I got it. And I came out, and I put everything in the trunk before they noticed and got into the car and I started uh, up the car and all of a sudden you heard music coming from the trunk <laughs> and the song was, we will rock you. And it was blaringly loud. And that was because that was the name of the truck. It was the, we will rock you truck. So my sons turned around and looked at the trunk and then they turned around and looked at me and I looked at them and we all had blank looks on our faces and then we just and then we all just laughed hysterically until until we were all crying uh oh. that could be my favorite christmas memory i've ever had uh that is such a sweet story and, and we never said a word about it we just drove home and he got it as a gift and yeah funny though so funny so, That's really sweet. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I hope you have a good holiday. Thanks for coming in on the show, and uh, I know that you've committed to next season, and I can't wait to see what we're going to do at World's Tournament. I think about it often now. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to be far away, and if we're not far away, we're going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. If, if, if you're arguing for a closer table, you know, I, I know, I know the guy that runs the show. So we'll try to, we'll try to set something up a little bit closer. He's usually kind of open to it. So I can count on you to work that day, can I? <clears throat> of course, yeah. I'll be a world tournament. I already, I set my calendar aside for that. Well, you'll be, you'll be playing, but we'll get you in between games to do some games. Uh, same with Rudy. Probably going to need a fourth guy. Well, well I mean, Asa usually, Asa usually has me in the 8 a.m. game every fucking year. Whoa. So, <laughs> Happy bitterness, I know everybody. It, I, I, don't, I don't swear often, but, man, there, there are certain things that twist me, and that's one of them. But, yeah, I'm, I will be there bright and early, and will be probably the last one out. So happy to record, happy to work, happy to do. Beautiful. Thank you, my friend. Be well. We'll talk soon. Adios. Thanks again.